0: Good morning. Let's pray. Father, help us here this morning to see Your Word, to grasp it, to wonder at it, Help me be faithful to the Holy Scripture in what is revealed. To the glory of your name and to the edification and the building up of your saints. Amen. I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you tongue speaking Corinthians. I thank God that I sing and pray in tongues more than all of you. And I want you all to speak in tongues. Those are not the words of some backwoods hillbilly, Pentecostal. Those are the words of one of the brightest minds in human history, who was also a hand-picked apostle of the resurrected Lord Jesus. Our journey through the book of Acts has brought us to this topic this morning of speaking in tongues. In other words, what is it? What can we understand about this phenomenon called speaking in tongues? And I don't mean what can we understand by present-day religious experience of people. I mean, what can we understand about it from the Scripture? And... As we look at it and if we really can't learn much about it from the Bible then so be it. Let's just leave it at that. But if we do get some insights about this thing called speaking in tongues, and about what it is or what's happening within, well let's receive those insights. And so, here's my plan. To go to every text in the New Testament that mentions anything about speaking in tongues and see what we can learn. And so first, we're going to go through Luke's writing called the Acts of the Apostles because in the Acts of the Apostles, Luke brings it up in his narrative three times. And so the first is what has actually brought us here in going through Luke chapter 2, verse 4, Luke writes, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we have seen that the context tells us that these 120 or so Christians, they spoke out loud in languages that they never learned that they did not understand with their own minds or their own intellects. And from the context we know that they were speaking human languages that real human beings learned and made up and spoke in their culture. Start with verse 6. And at this sound, the sound of these 120 speaking in tongues, The multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of the multitude was hearing them speak in his own language. And he gives examples because they're all there in Jerusalem for the big feast. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and Libya and Rome and Cretans and Arabians we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Okay. So from this passage, we learn that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon these believers and filled them. And thus the Spirit enabled them to speak languages out of their mouths. That they never learned and that their intellect did not understand the words. And that other people heard them doing this and recognized their own particular language from the geographical area they were from. Those who say, and there are some who do, well, what's happened here is that God performed this miracle on the day of Pentecost in order to evangelize all these people from these various language groups. They're just dead wrong. They're wrong in the sense that each tongue speaker here was not preaching the gospel. They were, by the Holy Spirit's power, praising God, worshiping God, telling of the great things of God, of Yahweh, of who He is. And it is that phenomenon that drew the crowds so that then the tongue speaking would stop and Peter would stand up and preach the gospel in Greek. The language that everyone is understanding, like you are understanding me, right now, preaching in English. And so what we have in Acts chapter 2 is the indwelling, the filling of the Holy Spirit, who enabled these Christians to praise God from the depths of their hearts, bypassing their mind. Sound fair? Okay. The next time it comes up in the book of Acts is chapter 10. Remember, God had to pound Peter's head three times with a vision. Forget it, right? God had to convince Peter in his stubborn Jewish cultural milieu, Peter... Preach the gospel to non-Jews. I'm going to save them too. And then he ends up at Cornelius' house, a Gentile, a Roman centurion over lots of Roman soldiers. He invites his friends and his family. I don't know if there's 43 or 103. There they are. Peter comes and obeys and preaches the gospel in the known tongue, Greek. And while he's preaching, pick up in chapter 10 of Acts, verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is, the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the holy spirit was poured out even on the gentiles how did they know can't see the spirit he says how they knew for they were hearing them Speaking in tongues and extolling God, giving high praise to God. So, in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, tongues speaking by the Christians is what drew the crowd of unbelievers so that then Peter would preach the gospel in the common language. This is different. Here's Peter preaching the gospel in the common language, like I am doing with you in English. Everyone is understanding. And then the Holy Spirit falls upon these unbelievers and makes them believers. And they begin to speak in tongues. In languages, in other words, flowing from the depths of their souls out of their mouths bypassing their understanding with their minds. Why? Well, obviously not in order to draw a crowd of unbelievers so now that Peter can preach to them. It's not what's happening there. Like chapter 2. While they are now praising God, all of them the Holy Spirit fell upon who are hearing the word that was being preached. Now they're all Christians. And for the next three seconds or three minutes, I have no idea how long. But there's only Christians there now. And all these people are speaking in tongues. That's what we get. One more time, Luke brings it up in the book of Acts chapter 19 verses 5 to 7 On hearing this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul had laid his hands on them the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying There were about 12 men in all. So here, years later, in Ephesus, 12 men were just taught clearly the gospel by Paul. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were speaking in tongues, in languages they did not learn or understand with their minds. How? By the Holy Spirit's enabling. And they were also, by the Holy Spirit's enabling, speaking in Greek. Things that they were impressed evidently upon their heart. That's what he says. They weren't just speaking in unknown languages, but they were speaking in Greek, prophesying. So again, up in Ephesus... Christians spoke in tongues by the Holy Spirit's enablement, not with unbelievers around to draw a crowd here. There's 13 or so Christians speaking in tongues and prophesying. Okay, that's it. That's all Luke gives us. And So let me just summarize first. What is it that we can learn from the book of Acts from these three instances? First is this. The Holy Spirit filled and enabled Christians to use their vocal cords to speak praise to God with syllables, words that they did not understand with their minds. Secondly, in chapter 2, we see that those syllables and words coming out were actual human languages that were spoken on earth in that day. Third, in the other two cases, chapter 10 and chapter 19, they spoke languages they didn't know, but we don't know what those languages were. It just doesn't say and they were all Christians together doing it in those last two instances and so from this I think it's safe to conclude that a sign of the Holy Spirit's infilling is the urge in these Christians to let loose from their heart to God bypassing their minds their intellect their understanding coming out in expressions they just don't know one more thing in Acts Luke never tells us whether these Christians spoke in tongues the next day, or the next week, or the next year. He never tells us they didn't. He just doesn't say. And so, when it comes to tongue speaking, gotta to hear me, as a practice, or as a gift of the Holy Spirit, which will come up, right, in Paul. Or as a prayer language, we would know almost nothing from the book of Acts. And so, we're now left to turn to the teaching letters of the New Testament. And as we do, you open them up and you look at 20 of the 21 New Testament epistles And in those 20, tongues is never mentioned nor taught. Unless there's two illusions that might be referring to this phenomenon, but it doesn't say tongues directly, and I'm not even going to go there. Therefore. So, that leaves us with that one letter. We know what it is. 1 Corinthians, particularly chapters 12. 13 and 14, where the Apostle Paul mentions and teaches things about speaking in tongues that are enlightening to what in the world is this. He gives us some more information about what tongues are. He wrote 1 Corinthians 22 years after the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And what's amazing about it is that as he writes, Paul just assumes that tongues speaking, tongues praying, is a normal thing in the Corinthian church. So we know Paul begins in chapter 12, now to this subject, he deals with lots of subjects, lots of correction in First Corinthians. Questions they have asked, and where he, as a father, needs to start to discipline and correct them in some things. And so here is one of them. And the way he starts off in chapter twelve, as many of you know, he lists nine. Well, it depends on when he because he says gifts, he says operations. And then when he says, here, these nine, he calls them manifestations of the Spirit. He lists nine of them, gifts of healing and gift of faith and working of miracles. And then one of them is, quote, various kinds of tongues. And then another is, right after that, the interpretation of tongues, which which clearly lets us know that, that tongues is the language that the speaker and most everyone else doesn't have a clue what those words mean. That's why you need someone with the manifestation of the Spirit to give an interpretation of the tongue. Okay. So he lists these nine gifts, and then you see tongues there, and that's all he says. But obviously, these Christians, it's not like Paul's got to explain to them. It's like they know what he's talking about. They're very familiar with with tongues speaking in their Christian community. And then Paul summarizes these manifestations in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He will. And then Paul launches into, in chapter 12, that whole section on how the body of Christ, the church, Jesus' local community, consists of many individuals who make up the one body. Many parts that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the ear to say, I'm much better than the toe. Every part. Ones that show more publicly and ones that don't at all. Every member of Jesus' body with differing functions is very important to the body. So, then, he concludes that section with verses 27 to 30. So now... You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Okay, pause for a moment. Behind what's happening here in the larger context, there is pride, lack of love, look at me, I couldn't care less how I'm affecting others, I'm better than you, That's why Paul did what he did before this. Now about the body and each and every individual member. So he lists them, and then he goes in, verse twenty. Are all the members of the body apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Obviously not. The issue and one of the core issues that Paul then is dealing with in this whole section of 1 Corinthians is the insensitive misuse of speaking out in tongues during communal gatherings. In chapter 14, Paul will make it clear that in the gathering, like we are gathered here right now or in a living room, as we are gathered together, he makes it crystal clear in that context. Tongue are not helpful, unless there's someone to interpret. And thus tongues are inferior to prophecy. In other words, tongues in the communal gathering, as opposed to when you are alone in your own prayer closet, it is inferior to the other verbal gifts. Precisely because your fellow Christians, nor you, have any idea what you are saying, and thus it's not helpful. Unless there's someone with the gift, operation of the Spirit, to interpret what was just said in the unknown tongue. When that happens, tongues With the gift of the interpretation of tongues together would equal prophecy in the community, which speaks in the known language, encouragement, helpful words. But before Paul launches in to his correction of this in chapter 14, he inserts chapter 13. Essentially, just saying this, and you heard it last week, The fruit of love is to drive and to govern all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are just tools to use to love and bless others. So much so that you come in with an unloving heart to the community gathering And you think, I don't, I just feel like speaking out loud in tongues. And you don't care how it affects anybody else or whether there is an interpreter there. He says, you can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if you don't have love, all that speaking is like a loud, noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And so, preaches, why love is that which will last forever. These gifts are only temporary down here during this present, evil, undone age that we live in. And now having said that, with love as the guide, it brings Paul now to the issue. Chapter 14, start with verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. Why? I'll tell you why. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries by the Spirit. Okay. This is not a sermon where I'm going to work through the entire chapter of 14 exegetically because I'm working through 1 Corinthians. I'm not working through 1 Corinthians. So what this sermon is about is while he's dealing with this larger issue of what's happening in the communal gatherings, he makes comments about speaking in tongues that become very enlightening and insightful. In verse 2, Paul says that when a person is speaking in tongues, they are not speaking a language to other human persons but they are speaking directly to God. Paul thinks tongues is praying, addressing God directly, not fellow Christians. That's clear in verse 2. Then he explains, he unfolds what he means. Because no person in the church gathering understands what he or she is saying. Why don't they understand? He says because he or she is speaking mysteries by the Holy Spirit. Now that's enlightening. And... If it's true, sounds really good. Now, by mysteries here, un, I think, unlike the way Paul uses mysterion in chapter 4 of Ephesians, or 3 of Ephesians, right in there somewhere. Here, it seems as if he's using mysteries in the way that just means this. It's a mystery. The speaker doesn't know what he's saying. The hearers don't know with their minds, with their intellects, what is being said. It's mysterious. What's he saying? I don't know. It's a mystery to me. That's what he seems to be. But he's doing it, she's doing it, by the Spirit. So let's let's read again, verses 2 to 4, slowly. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries by the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies does speak to people. He speaks to people for their upbuilding. Keyword upbuilding, encouragement. Second word, encouragement. You can even switch these words around from the Greek. They're so close. For his upbuilding, their encouragement and their consolation or comfort. That's prophecy. That's what you do when you prophesy in English or in Greek in their context. You bring encouragement and boosting up of your neighbor, your fellow Christian. But verse 4, the one who speaks in tongues, or in a tongue, he builds up himself. Not his neighbor there, but he or she is encouraged or built up when they're praying or speaking in a tongue. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. The others. Now, Paul seems to clearly believe in the value of praying in tongues. Now, his corrective here in chapter 14 is when you're gathered together in the meeting house, in the living room, seek to build up Aunt Betty, Mr. Smith. Your fellow Christian, think about them to edify, encourage others in the gathering. Paul tells us, while making this argument, that one who is speaking in tongues is speaking to God, or communing with God, By the Spirit. And then he says, when that's happening, that activity of the one speaking in tongues is edifying in his or her communion with God through speaking in tongues. Paul is not against Christians being edified. Or being helped spiritually by praying in tongues. What he is against is in the gathered community speaking out loud in the assembly when there is no strong assurance that there's going to be an interpretation spoken in the common language. Because the point of the gathered assembly, is to edify each other. And he says, you're speaking in tongues the way you guys have been doing it. My turn, my turn. It's just not helpful unless there is someone to interpret. So Paul says that when Christians pray in tongues, They don't understand what they're saying with their minds. But somehow, this is what the text says, somehow they are being edified. They are experiencing this positive effect of edification or being built up. Encouraged into praying, or something like that. So from that, I draw the conclusion that contrary to what some may think, that personal help, personal between you and God, encouragement, spiritual strength may take place in ways other than filtering through the gray matter of our brains, of our intellects, of our cognitive understanding. Because, Paul has clearly said, you don't know what you're saying, but as you pray, you are being edified, building up. Paul in no way is putting down this self-edification through praying in tongues. He's all for it. That's why he goes on in verse 5 to say, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Start with verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue Builds up himself. But the one who prophesies. Builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one. Who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets. So that the church may be built up. So this edification comes to the Christian through private prayer and praise in unintelligible tongues. Yeah. If we wonder, how in the world could that be? How could praying with syllables and words and sounds through your vocal cords that you just don't understand that language, how could that be edifying to the Christian? Uplifting, upbuilding. How could speaking mysteries, I don't know what I'm saying, in the Spirit or by the Spirit, be helpful to my personal life with God? To that question, I think Paul gives us some help In verses 14 and 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. In the context, it clearly means, I will pray in tongues. But I will pray in Greek also. I mean, with my mind also. Not only that, I will sing praise with my spirit in tongues, but I will sing with my mind also. Paul believed in this immediate communion with God by means of the Holy Spirit inspiring our spirits to pray while bypassing the intellect, the mind. Notice here, Paul moves into the first person, singular. He's using his own life as an example. He's talking about his daily experience that he knows he shares with many others. Verse 14 again. For if I, Paul, pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay, yeah, Paul here, you you never want to attribute meaning to persons who speak or write that they don't mean. You got, you got, you got, I want to follow your thought process. He does make a distinction here between spirit and mind, but he's not a trichotomist. He doesn't make a separation. Between spirit and mind, like you would if you die and your spirit is separated from your body, which is a possibility because you are essentially those two parts, spirit and body as a human being. But there is that immaterial, non-physical, spiritual aspect to the person that includes mind, intellect, emotion. uh, I mean, love, explain Romantic love. Where does that come from? Fear, desire, uh, longing for meaning. These are all distinctions about the immaterial aspect of being made in the image of God. Okay? So here, he says, I can have my spirit praying while my mind is not active in what I'm praying. But when it comes to that non-physical aspect of the person, he says something like this, I think. You know anything better? I don't, he's, what do you mean your spirit prays, but your mind, your intellect, is not in the game at that moment? It's unfruitful at that moment. I think this is what he's saying. That aspect of our human persons, the spiritual aspect of those who are Christians, of the born-again, Holy Spirit-indwelt person can be lifted up, encouraged, edified positively in their communion with God by His or her Spirit praying apart from their understanding in their mind. As they pray with ununderstandable or non intelligible words. Now, I know there are clearly people who would think, well, Paul, look, if your mind is not fruitful in what you're doing there, if it's unfruitful while you babble away in these syllables that you don't understand, then it's useless. Just stop doing it, Paul. And Paul totally disagrees with that person. To that, Paul answers, I am spiritually lifted up. I'm edified when I pray with my spirit in tongues. And so you know what? I'm going to do both. That's verse 15. What am I to do? Tell you what I'll do. I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit in tongues, and I will sing praise with my mind in my known language. But in our context, he simply says, I will pray in tongues and I will pray in English. I will sing in tongues and I will sing in English. Clearly, Paul believed that a spiritual experience that was beyond the grasp of his mind, he clearly believed that that was profoundly profitable to him. And then he goes on to make the statement in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you Corinthians. No wonder. Here's the question. When in the world did the great theologian of Christianity do this. Because in the context, we know it's not happening with him in church. That's not when he's praying more than everybody in tongues. Because he says, I thank God I, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet, when we gather together in the church service, uh-uh, no, I'm not doing it there. I'd rather speak five words in Greek to teach you something rather than speaking in front of you 10,000 words in a tongue so when is he doing it I don't know how else to answer it but away from the assembly alone well, he walks through the woods in the morning or if he's staying in a place that's big enough he's got a, a bedroom don't bug me or shut out back. But whatever he's doing, he's doing it a lot. He's even singing. Making melody with unknown tongues, he says. I will, I will pray and I will sing and I will sing and I will pray in tongues. Because when I do core of my spiritual man indwelt by the Spirit is praying, and I cannot help but be boosted up. Edified. We got a lot of theology from the Apostle Paul in his letters. Thank God. That's why God called him. We have almost nothing of his personal piety and spirituality on a daily basis. Almost nothing. We have 2 Corinthians 12. Remember, he does talk about his visions. He talks about how he was begging the Lord for this horrific thorn to leave him. So we get some touches there. And then we also get chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And he says, I thank God all you many of you unloving prideful tongue speakers at corinth i'm doing correction don't mishear me i thank god i speak in tongues more than every one of you that must have stunned them and it must really stun many in the church today who carefully read what paul writes in first corinthians whether you're a cessationist it doesn't happen it doesn't matter what he wrote that was happening with him in the first century about his own personal prayer life, it must stun many who do good exegesis of this passage. Unless the Apostle Paul was lying to us and to the Corinthians, his ongoing personal devotion must have been regularly given to praying and singing in tongues one last observation from what paul says in 1st corinthians 14 this ability that he's talking about he just you know christian after christian after christian in corinth doing this and paul This ability to speak in tongues is clearly in the control of the Christian. It's not some involuntary takeover by another spirit or the Holy Spirit who, you know, I go into some kind of an epileptic seizure or something and He controls my vocal cords and and tongues come out. Paul says, I will choose, what he means there, to pray in tongues. I will choose to pray with my mind. I will choose to sing in tongues. I will choose to sing with my mind also. So this ability to pray, speak in tongues, seems to not at all be, well, I guess I better just sit back and wait and see if I'll be possessed by the Holy Spirit who will overcome my speech. In other words, without my will at all, He will just use my vocal cords and language will come out. You can't get that from the way Paul talks about it. Particularly in verses 26 to 28, where he is giving instructions about what to do. If if, if what I just said, that bizarre kind of thing, you get possessed and it just comes out, and that's what the, the regular, ongoing praying in tongues that he's talking about is, it wouldn't make any sense for the instructions that he gives when he writes. Well, what then, brothers? When you come together... Each one has a hymn. Okay, that for us would be like, you know, in English, we know that. It's a good to you know, Sing to hymn. A lesson. Okay, there's a teaching. Uh, a revelation. A tongue. An interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only or at most three. Well, what if there's 18 people who want to do it? Don't do it. Seems to be in their control. Let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, then let each of them Keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. All right. So, my concluding thoughts. There are six things from the Scripture that I know. Number one, tongues speaking By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is meant for personal edification in one's prayer life, separate from the corporate tongue spoken out. Number two, many Christians in the first century prayed this way. Number three, we should fight against trying to interpret the Bible through our experiences or our lack of experiences. But we should do our best to understand the Scripture on its own grounds and in its own context. Four. in the first century, Paul desired each church member to pray for and to desire spiritual gifts in order that they would help and encourage their fellow Christians. And Paul desired that they would all have this personal prayer language that he found to be so edifying in his own personal life. Five, there is nothing in Scripture that says or leads me to believe that God has ceased to save people through the preaching of the gospel like he did in the first century. So let's preach the gospel. Nor is there anything in the Bible that says... Or leads me to believe that we ought not expect to be used by the Holy Spirit with these spiritual gifts, including praying with our spirits apart from our minds. And sixth and finally, I know that not every Christian will speak. Or pray in tongues. Let's pray. Father, you are good, for you have sent your Son, you purchased for yourself a people. Through him, death is conquered. Our hope reaches to the heavens. You have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us, your people who believe. And you want each and every person, tongue speaker or to never speak in tongues, to walk by the power of your Spirit. So would you continue to do this to us, your people, in this local church to the glory of your holy name. Amen.